1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: This episode of Afterwork Drinks is brought to you by our friends at Ultraviolet. What is that you're drinking, Izzy? This is a spicy mezcal margarita, which is, as you know, my summer beverage of
3: choice. Very nice. I'm sipping on a stone cold glass of rosé. Very much wishing we were by the beach in Australia right about now.
2: Me too, but New
3: Zealand. We may not be able to enjoy
2: the perfect down under summer, but you, our angelic listeners, are. And alongside our friends at Ultraviolet, we're bringing you six weeks of full of fantastic summer content so you can have a very ultra
3: summer on our behalf. As you've no doubt heard us mention many, many times by now, Ultraviolet is our favorite sunscreen brand on the planet. They've completely transformed sunscreen by making a formula that looks and feels like skincare, so you can protect your skin every day without clogging your pores or lugging around a big, ugly, greasy tube. After the crazy old year that
2: we have all had, Ultraviolet wants you to kick back and enjoy a well-earned break, spending this summer living your very best, very ultra life. So you might be wondering what it means to be very ultra, and basically it's the next step up from extra. It's walking an extra 15 minutes to go to the coffee shop that serves the brand of oat milk you like, guilty as charged, or spending an unreasonable amount of money on a birthday cake that matches the exact shade of your mint green sequin dress, grace, guilty as charged. It's also taking a whole afternoon to yourself to read a book about an issue you're passionate about or spending a bit more money to buy from brands whose values you align with, Or, um, in my case, using a whole roll of film in one night just so you can upload the one cute photo you think you got on your
3: vintage camera to Instagram. That's very ultra, even, like buying a film camera for the Insta aesthetic.
2: For the gram. I know I can't upload any other photos now. I've got myself stuck (laughs) in this hole. You're trapped in the aesthetic.
3: (laughs) So basically, being very ultra is about being an AWD girl. It's being full of substance while also being a little bit silly with a little touch or more than a touch of chaos added to the mix. And so because we all know you embody the very ultra lifestyle so perfectly, we'd also love to hear from you. Please send us through a voice note to hello at afterworkdrinks.net with your very best ultra moment. And each week we'll play our favorite in the episode. Plus, if your voice note gets played, you'll get sent a special gift pack from Ultraviolet on us.
2: And just because we love you, you also get an exclusive discount code that works for the entire summer up until February 28th. All you need to do is enter AWD10 at the checkout at ultraviolet.com.au for 10% off your order on anything except for limited edition sets. One use per person and not available with other offers. Thanks again for listening to this episode of After Work Drinks. Hello Izzy. Hello Grace.
3: (laughs) It's been a while since we had (laughs) one of these interview episodes, we've been keeping them in the bank. So you've got a lot of good chats in store in the coming six weeks. Starting with? Starting with Sophia Rowe. So For anyone
2: who's not across her, uh, Sophia Rowe is one of our favorite people to follow on Instagram. She's a chef, but she's also so much more than a chef. She's a wellness advocate who talks at length in her daily Instagram lives about the relationship between food and race, among a million other fascinating topics like spiritual bypassing, colorism and code switching, through her pillow talk sessions, Sophia has gathered a following of more than 250,000 people including the likes of Gigi Hadid who had her on her channel in May to discuss privilege and race.
3: I think everything that we love about Sophia can really be is really embodied in this new VICE series she has which is all about kind of looking at the most pressing political issues in the world right now through the lens of food. So, for example, she looks at how political dissent in Hong Kong is really linked to the street food culture there or how in Spain they're experimenting with 3D printing of meat to try and tackle the environmental crisis or how in Mexico they're trying to make certain types of snack foods illegal to try and alleviate pressures on the healthcare system there. Um, She has such an incredible, infectious, obsessive energy towards food and it just makes us feel the exact same way about it. This chat
2: was as expected... Given we are huge fans of her uh, speaking on Instagram Live, it was really informative and really incredible. Um, so please enjoy.
4: Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm happy. Yeah. Clean. <laughs> That's good to hear. How's it going in New York? It's raining and cold. It was actually very nice yesterday. Ooh, let me turn that off. Um, it was very nice yesterday, but today's like, on, it's like, a, it's a dreary day.
2: Yeah. We're in London. So we feel
4: you. <laughs> the sun's basically setting. It's okay. Like fair, fair. Very fair.
3: I'll we're give you wow that.
4: You. <laughs> I give you that. I will totally give you that. Um,
3: so we might jump into things straight away if that's cool. Congratulations on the show. Oh, thank you. Yes. It's really awesome. Yeah. It's super fun. What were some of the things that you either wanted to do or didn't want to do in creating this show, considering that the kind of cooking show is a quite well-established
4: genre? So I I didn't want the show to be about me. So that was like something that is like very, very important. Uh, Like part of what I wanted was to sort of be like a story steward. In effect, like I just want you to be brought into all these different elements that are all kind of under this really big massive umbrella, like climate change, environment. I mean, these are like really big honking things. And I think two things happen when we're sort of presented with climate change environment. It's either such a big conversation that you get paralysis. You don't know what to do so you do nothing. Or you just have tons of anxiety and like can't sleep at night. So it's like both not good. So I am urging people to sort of just like have the courage to break this down. Let this be an intricate, nuanced conversation, you know? So that's what I was hoping that was going to come across with this format. This is unlike any other cooking show format. There's like there's this really beautiful cinematic, beautiful beginning, and then I'm in the kitchen, and then there's an interview, and then there's this other fourth segment that's kind of funky. I guess I just want people to know that, like in any conversation, there's a lot of intricacy, there's a lot of nuance. For some reason, we don't want to allow there, to, we want there to be like a uh, a answer to all of these big huge things, and there's just not. There's just not. So uh, the format was something that we were like a little nervous about because like this is something that we've never done before, but it's like, we're doing it. So we like went for it. So like, I have like crazy ass eyeshadow on, I have like, I get to wear whatever I want and and look however I want. You know, we really wanted it to, like, if we're going to do something totally different in the food space, like let's do it. There is no like person that I know that has a cooking show that wears like fuchsia I mean, there's one, I have one episode where I am like, eyelid to eyebrow, green eyeshadow, like, you know, so we really just wanted to like do something totally different. And we did it in the middle of a pandemic.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So good. Um, So you have said before that you can't have a conversation about food apartheid and not also have a conversation about gentrification and white supremacy. They're all the same conversation in some way. Can you just talk a little bit about what got you interested in food in the first place, and how you've realized that it was inherently a political thing?
4: Yeah, uh, so it's pretty simple. You know, I grew up food insecure. I was I was a foster care kid, so I grew up standing in these lines. I grew up. I grew up. My mom's a shoplifter. My mom stole food my whole entire life to feed us. So and. So like for me, I, I know this is absolutely a political and institutionalized power conversation uh, without a doubt. And I live across the street from a food pantry as we speak. I see it every single day. I see who has food and who doesn't and why that exists. Um, so again, like I know it seems like very cut and dry and people don't like to have that conversation. And it sounds like, it's like so icky, like, ugh, like systematic oppression and white supremacy. They're like such icky things. And we want to just like put it away and like not talk about it. But, um, it was, you know, in America, we have 60 million people that are food insecure. That's one in four people that, and I think, it, I think when we talk about food insecure and we use these terms are very important language is very important, but we need to switch it one in four people go to bed hungry they're hungry 20 million children in that they go to bed hungry and i I remember being a kid i remember literally going to bed like thinking i had one meal a day you know and i going to bed hungry and that was like the huge that was the norm we don't like to use that terminology we don't like to have those conversations because they make us feel weird make us feel bad but when we treat hunger like a temporary emergency, we are completely missing the fact that this isn't an emergency, like in that, in the general sense, like if we just do some canned food drives, it'll fix it. This is literally the way that it is, like 1000%. And I, I instead of being like angry about it, I think it's more like an exposure conversation. This is the way that it is, and I'm gonna show you why, you know? And we're gonna have these difficult kind of nuanced conversations. I, I, I also think a big problem is that the people that do address hunger, particularly in America, at the institutionalized level, at the bureaucratic level, the policy level, they haven't themselves experienced hunger. And so I think it's really important, those people that are supposed to handle this hunger issue, that they really be connected and tied to it so they can properly understand the severity of the the situation.
3: Yeah, and it's crazy because we live in a culture that actually talks about food a lot. Um, and it's so weird. Like, I think people will be really shocked to hear those statistics. We were, we were shocked when we discovered you to find out a lot of this stuff. We were fucking freaked out when we found out what food deserts were that like blew our minds. And <laughs> yeah. I think it's this weird disconnect where we're not a culture that doesn't like talking about food. We obsess over food. And yet the actually important elements of the food conversation is so
4: undiscussed. Yes is very true and in a a way that's, I mean, and there's like, ah, there's so much complexity to it. I mean, you can't have a conversation without, as far as I'm concerned in America, you can't have a conversation about food without talking about black people. Like you really, like you literally can't. I mean, we all know the story. We all understand colonization. We all know what happened. Like black people in so many ways are responsible for agriculture as it exists today. You know, while, I mean, black people were definitely like robbed of their land and we can have all kinds of conversations about the, about the the sort of factos of systematic oppression, we can have tons of like conversations about that. Um, what What I think is very interesting is when we look at who, what are the demographics of people that have access to not just food, but nutritious food. I think that's also a very important conversation. Like you can walk, I mean, I live in uh, a very I live in I live in a food apartheid. I absolutely live in one. There's tons of fast food there's food everywhere, but is it good for me? No, it's not. But those are my options. I don't like to think, I don't like to play into like food, have like, like morality within food, food being good or bad is already like really dangerous kind of territory anyway, especially since we're a culture that really obsesses about food. Even the people that have it, people that are wealthy, that have a lot of money, we see like the rise of orthorexia. I, I'm pretty sure that I am the only person that's ever done a, Cooking show episode on eating disorders, so that will come out later in the season. You know, so I, I also again, it's just me wanting to go back to nuances, and it seems like I'm jumping around a lot. But my point is, to your point, we obsess about food, one thousand percent. We have to talk about eating disorders. There's, there's more than eight million people, and that number is probably higher that actually don't get a lot of joy from food that are suffering from eating disorders. We do not see anyone in the chef space talk about those people. I love food, it's my greatest joy, but that doesn't mean it's everybody's joy, right? And so like, I just think, again, two billion people in the world eat insects. I I mean, most people that I know don't eat insects, but two billion people in the world do. So again, intricacy, nuanced conversation. Like talking about food shouldn't just be like, I'm either counting my calories, or wanting to eat all organic, or fine dining, Michelin restaurants. There's so much other stuff, to talk about when it comes to food and the biggest elephant in the room is that a lot of people don't have it period they just don't have any food you know it's crazy because even in london like there's all of these
2: areas that are being gentrified at the moment all of these areas are getting yeah the mcdonald's or the pret or these really really cheap places that are offering kind of not non-nutritious food but then because the areas are often poorer areas right the people end up eating it and liking that 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 these places are coming there and then it kind of just causes this extra problem because sure. they're not getting the
4: nutritious food they need. Well, and I also think it's like a cost situation. Like I you know, you can talk to anyone in a in a in a low-income neighborhood or a marginalized community in any kind of way. I don't like to use the term minority because I don't think that that's what we are anymore, especially in America. Um but any kind of like underrepresented area uh, when it's your only option that's your option. And I know that a lot of people would love, listen, I I would love to go to the farmer's market, but the farmer's market, I got to take three trains to get there. And when I do get there, I literally can't afford to buy what's there, you know? So it's like, what are you left with? You're left with the dollar menu because that's what you can afford. That's what you have access to. So the access conversation isn't only a food conversation, access to public transport, access to childcare, access to education, access to other fiscal sort of civic resources. You know, like it's, you can't have an access food conversation without talking about all the other, you know, access to a, a home, real estate. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, and it, this is why it is a white supremacy conversation. You know, like you cannot, it's, I mean, it's silly to not notice it, to not acknowledge, you know, you go to a wealthier area of Brooklyn, who lives there, you know, like you see who lives there and you and you clearly see who doesn't live there. And it's a really, it's a really tough conversation to have. And I, and I know it doesn't feel good to a lot of people, but I feel like the best way to reach people is to show the stories and show the examples and show that it's not just, I'm not just like yelling at people. Like this is the way that it is. It's like, no, look, look, look here. Here are all these people that have this very similar story. This is the, this is, this is literally what we're living in. I mean, it, it took, oh my God. In America, it took a nine minute video of a black man being murdered by four police officers for people to take it seriously. Suddenly like all, and I don't even know that it would have done what it did had it not been for the pandemic. You know, people are at home they can't they, i mean they're watching tv they're not doing anything so they're sort of forced to see this thing that's happened you know and um, again complicated really tough hard conversations i, I don't want to be harsh but like i just don't care anymore like i don't care that it like hurts people's feelings to mention white supremacy i don't care <laughs> like this is the way that it is we got to address it
3: yeah. Um, we wanted to switch quickly to talking about your career as a professional chef. Um, my best biggest introduction to that world is Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, which kind of presents it as this like hyper masculine, hyper-aggressive, drug-taking, high life part like drinking hard, doing drugs hard, hot fucking kitchens where everyone's screaming at each other. Um yep. Do you think that's an outdated stereotype, or was that actually your experience when you were working in kitchens?
4: That wasn't my experience everywhere. I, I I think everybody's kitchen experience is probably individual. I I will never talk about a kitchen experience monolithically. Every kitchen's different. Depends on who your chef de cuisine is. Depends on who your depends on who the restaurant manager is. Depends on who the clientele. What are the customers? What what type of customer? What kind, what kind of restaurant? Like I I will never do that. I will say that. Nine times out of 10, uh, I'm always around more men than women. Always. I've never worked in a kitchen space where I did not experience some form of racism. Like, like I, not one, not one. For even whether it be microaggression, hair comments, uh, ageism, a lot of ageism, a lot of like, you know, uh, sort of like don't tell anybody how old you are kind of vibe because you won't be taken seriously. Um, but I would never look at it like it's, it's, that, it's the same everywhere. Yes, lots of alcoholism. But I've worked in restaurants where everybody in the kitchen was sober. <laughs> so, you know, like I don't – I think it's different for everybody. But I do think that the one thing that is for sure is that there's lots of sexual misconduct, lots of um, microaggressions, lots of uh, sort of worthy issues – especially when you're a female and you're like, you've got like big booming men over you all the time. Um, And also every single kitchen in all kitchens is a hot kitchen. They're all very hot. They're all very hot and they're all very, everyone's moody. People are tired. People are underpaid. Um, So yeah, 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 yeah.
3: So we're going to take a very quick break here to play you our very first listener call-in with their best very ultra story. Enjoy. Hey, after work drinks. So the most ultra thing I've ever done is that I recently got ghosted by this guy who wasn't even all that, so I don't know what he was thinking. And I went straight out and I spent 300 quid on lingerie purely out of spite so that I would know that I looked hot as fuck and he would be missing the entire thing. Not that he would even care because he ghosted me. Not that he would even know because I didn't tell him. But uh, I just feel good about it. Although I am now 300 pounds shorter. Meh.
2: Yeah, we've um, both been waitresses. I've had a plate thrown at my head by a shift before. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and in hospitality jobs, you tend to see the worst fucking sides of humanity come out. You've talked for example, about your experience working as a personal chef for rich families in the Hamptons. What was that like?
4: Mm. You know, you never want to disrespect the hand that feeds you. I, I mean, like, listen, I'm grateful uh, these, this, these experiences, I was able to get my bills paid, which is like awesome. But uh, I wasn't always treated well. And think, oh my gosh, just the, you know, you don't want to be mad at people for being rich but I just, the amount of food waste, the amount of just like, floss, and how wealthy you are just because, you know? I mean, Hamptons from Memorial Day to Labor Day, sometimes it was the only time you'd actually ever see a real chef friends too. (laughs) So, you know, like, as everybody's kind of in this, like, small place all at the same time. You know, I've had permanent families that I worked for that were great families. They really were great families, but it always felt kind of like, I never worked for a family that wasn't white. not to say that there aren't wealthy uh, black families or wealthy Hispanic families or wealthy Asian families, but every family I ever worked for was a wealthy white family and all of their staff were also, were also always black or Hispanic. So it was very interesting to have to, especially particularly like working with families that have kids. So sort of like letting kids know in their mind at such a young age that like these, this is what people look like when they work for you. They look like this they're black, they're Hispanic. And they, I mean, even like the kids would introduce me as their chef. This is my chef, not with my name. This is our chef. And I remember actually correcting like Edward, I remember saying, my name is Sophia, right? You introduce me as my name, you know, like I don't actually work for you, you're five. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's such like, a gross yeah. image, and it's also just setting them
2: nice. up for the way my they speak to stomach. people for the rest of their lives.
4: Oh man, I've walked at kids and say like I've I've literally walk, had kids. You know, like sometimes yeah, they're, like, they're a restaurant. It's like a restaurant. It's all a team. You know, sometimes the, sometimes the nanny's tied up one kid and the sports and there's a tutor. And like, so, you know, you pick up a kid from school, like, you know, even as a chef, like, you just like a family, you know, you're part of the family. You go on vacation with them. Like, I don't want to make it seem like it was all just so torturous. The hours were torturous. Absolutely. You're... you're your sort of imagination as a chef, you know, you're making what people want. Sometimes you're making four different dinners for four different people. That's just the way, you know, sometimes you get a call at 4 PM saying, Hey, we're going to have five extra people for dinner and you got to like figure it out. That's your job as a chef. That's your job. Um, but to be with a, you know, a seven-year-old kid and say, you know, Hey, like you need to go get a job, you know, like what, where did you learn to say that to a person? You know, like that's a, crazy, 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 crazy thing, you know? So I, I think that the, my favorite family I worked for was, was a, was my permanent family. I worked for them for years. They were just like the best. They were awesome, but they, that they treated me awesome. I'll say that, but the message is the same. We're going to go to the Hamptons. We're going to be, you know, we got to have that, the bigger house and we got to have the, this experience and we got to send our kids to this school. And it's just this, you know, it was like nothing I related to at all. At all, it was the most money that I could have made as a chef. That's for sure. Definitely more money as a private chef than you make as a restaurant chef. Uh, but the the world that you're in is like something you just I just never could relate to in my wildest dreams. Like renting renting cars for the summer just because, and and home. I'm like, I just I mean, rotating art. Always someone's working on the house. Construct. I mean. I can't even imagine what the electric bill must have been for some of these houses you know not just one vacation house but five you know and one's and, and there's and another one on construction and it just just really really wild 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 wealth wild
3: the thing about like money as well that's so fucked i remember working with a woman who was like super super wealthy like wealthy 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 and like when she got married her dress had its own first class fucking seat on the plane to italy or whatever and we went out for drinks after work once and she was saying oh but like in my group of friends we're like the poor ones like they've got private islands and they've got blah 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 and it's so gross but their reality is so warped that that's everything is just comparison
4: it's just crazy you just level up no matter how much you make yeah like that's why that's why the money thing is a kind of relative and then and then at you as staff before you know it you start to just like I would, oh man, I think that's why I got such bad burnout. Like I would start to lose myself in like, I work so much. I don't even, I don't even have time to spend money. Like what? Like all I do is work. And so you become, it becomes normal. It becomes like very normal for you to make like gluten-free vegan cupcakes for the private, for at least like private school kids that come over for play date. Like you're like, wait, am I, hold on. I am literally baking pastry for a, a, for two little kids for a play date. Like, what am I doing? Like, like, what is going on? Like, I'm making a whole separate dinner for a little kid just because, like, that's what he's decided he wanted, you know? It's like, but then it's also, like, as then you get kind of into it because you get, like, these are kids that are used to eating such, like, Michelin foods. So you have kids that are requesting, like, radishes dipped in butter and, like, pounded tuna and, like, balsamic on their strawberries. And, like, yeah, you know, it's like, you just get really, like, you get into it and then you just hit smack with the reality of it the second you leave and you're on a crowded A train on the way to bedside, 15 stops away, you know what I mean? And like you live in a bedroom, <laughs> like with a mattress on the floor. Like that's my experience. And you can't even worry that you live in a bedroom with a mattress on the floor because you gotta wake up and like be at the farmer's market at like 6 a.m. the next morning. And like, that's the reality of the situation, you know? So. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to work for wealthy people and also like really interesting to see like what a lot of people, like wealthy people, like what they aren't seeing and, and I couldn't help but work for them and just work for a lot of wealthy people and be like, what is the, do y'all like give money away? Like how y'all throw money away? No. I'm like <laughs> you know, like I I'd be like, whoa, like y'all just spent, I just spent a thousand dollars on lobster for lobster rolls that no one's going to eat. Like when's the last time you gave a thousand dollars to like have like I'd be like, God, what if you just a thousand bucks, if you just gave like random what to come to my neighborhood and just give ten people a hundred bucks? You'd change your whole mm. life. You could change somebody's life with a hundred bucks in my neighborhood. But a thousand dollars on lobster that no one's eating. Like it was just really ugh, just wealth is really gnarly, guys. You did this amazing
2: Instagram live a few months ago talking about how White women will spend $20,000 to take themselves to a yoga retreat and call it wellness, when wellness really comes from nurturing and creating and supporting your community, which is what we've been talking about a lot on this podcast recently. Um, Can you just talk about the way you define wellness and how lost we've kind of become along the way in our cultural understanding of it? Yeah. Wellness
4: is simple. Food, air, water, sunlight, movement, purpose, community. Those are the things without community, you just don't have wellness. I don't understand. I mean, I think we have to look at like where these like wellness things like come from. I think that that's like the number one thing. Like these are from indigenous, like these are indigenous. Like we didn't like invent, like, it's not like some, like, I'm sorry, Gwyneth. Like you don't get to own turmeric Gwyneth. like, sorry, boo, you don't own yoga. Like you might get credited with like making it sort of mainstream, but it ain't yours. You know what I mean, like it's not so matcha tea is from Japan, Kyoto. Let's like talk, you know, like, I just, I just think that we've like lost where these things come from and why, why they were created. You know, wellness was all about the elder. You want to keep your elders alive as long as possible. They can, they can teach you the most. And it's all about the community. Here's my deal. I don't think we would feel like we needed like $20,000, like, like retreats if we caught outside of ourselves, you know, this idea of like wellness is about me, like you go to your retreat you do all the things, you get all the glowing skin, and then you come back and then what do you do? Like, what do you, do do you, are are you like, is it your mission to help make your community more well, your block more well, your family more well? You come back from your retreat, you go back to work, you do what you do for yourself, you stress about your own shit, and then before you know it, in six weeks, you need a whole nother wellness retreat. Because it's not a complete wellness protocol. A wellness protocol is not, a, it's not complete without purpose. It's not complete without community. So if all you're worried about is like exercise routine and diets and like meditation, like that's solid, but that has nothing to do with we, it's about you. And this is why I feel like so many wellness protocols, it feels good for a minute. And then you just, you get back from your retreat or you get back from your process and it just feels unfulfilled. And that's just because like, I, I have this envision, I envision like, walking out of your house feeling amazing and everybody else around you is very sick. That's like, I envision it. And I'm like, well, of course this is why in six weeks you feel like shit because everybody around you is sick and you innately as a human, you're a good person. You don't like that, (laughs) you know? And so I also think purpose is a really important part. Like all the vegan food, all the yoga, all the meditation, what is your purpose? What is it? Like, what is it? It can be anything. I don't care if you like really want to, I don't care if it's washing cars, like whatever it is, you got to have it. Blue zones, for instance, these are areas where people live for over a hundred. The one thing they all have in common, they have something to live for. Could be sweeping the floor. But these people have it in their mind. They're not retired. They're like, what, retire? Like, no, I have to sweep the floor. Because if I don't sweep the floor, who's going to do it? These little things are what keep you alive. They all live like less than a mile away from work. They all have a community responsibility. You know, people get really hung up on like blue zones and the diet. It's like, no, like what is keeping people alive is that their their purpose, the connection. And I feel like we're all just like living in our own kind of worlds and living in our own thing. If your wellness protocol does not involve community and does not include purpose, it is absolutely not wellness and it is absolutely not setting you up for success. And I don't like literally don't care if you disagree. Like that's just the way that it is,
3: period. This year especially, I think people have started to think about like the journey their money takes and how it impacts people's lives in a completely new way because of the pandemic. Um, So for example, something as simple as like when the pandemic happened, I was meant to see my hairdresser and then I couldn't see him. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh fuck, this is like a guy that I love and he's just not going to get any money if I don't keep paying him (laughs) when I'm not getting my hair done. Right. And it was like the first time that we'd made connections of if you're not using the money that you're getting to give to someone else who you love and care about for them to thrive, like you're cutting off cycles that look after people, basically. I'd, I'd never felt, we've both talked about this, we'd never felt powerful in that sense because we don't consider ourselves people who have much money. <laughs> yes. Um, and an example is even something as funny as the fact that both of us noticed that we were walking past markets into supermarkets sometimes to buy groceries. Not even th- thinking that we're not the kind of people that do that, but noticing mm-hmm. that we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And the whole reason was that they don't take cash and we didn't want to get cash out because we were yes. lazy. And then we're like, wait, what? This is a family run business and we're giving money to a chain just because of this cognitive dissonance that we don't think our $5 matters. Yes. Have you noticed a change at all in the way people are approaching this idea of Mm -hmm. food and money and community creation
4: in that kind of way? Absolutely. We are talking about becoming a conscious and informed consumer. This is a fabulous conversation. (laughs) 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 This is very important. This is like literally what the show is about. I don't like to use the term supply chain because what is a supply? What is that? It's a value chain. It's a value chain. All the different steps that it takes for something, for one person to get another thing, you know? 60% of the specialty foods in America come from somewhere else. Spices, coffee, wine, olive oils, teas, etc. right? They come from somewhere else. I don't really know where. I don't really bother with that. I just want my A through Z, right? And we see during a pandemic, like, whoa, I actually, I mean, toilet paper shortages, this kind of shortage. It's taking this long for me to get my stuff, like, we are so disconnected. We don't live in an agrarian society anymore. We don't live where you can like go hang out with the farmer and tell the farmer, hey, I you like your cabbage. Like we don't know. We go to the grocery store, we buy the cabbage, you know? And I feel like a lot of the issues too aren't sort of at the consumer level. I feel like consumers get blamed for a lot. A lot. Don't buy this, don't buy that. Plastic, what well, food waste. I don't remember asking manufacturers to serve, to put food in plastic containers. I don't remember asking the grocery store to order 500% more food just to make the shelves look full. I don't remember asking Kellogg's to make food that doesn't expire for five years, right? So like a a lot of this, being a conscious and informed consumer is holding manufacturers and companies accountable. And so this is what I see happening and I love it. It's sexy. It's delicious. I love it. I love, there's nothing I love more than a consumer understanding how much fucking power they actually have. You got it. You have it. I tell people that shit all the time. Do not believe that you're just a person. You have money. Manufacturers need it. You can absolutely hold these companies accountable and say, Hey, I don't like this practice or Hey, why do you do it this way? Like, Why not? Why not contact a grocery store or contact a manufacturer and say, I don't understand why, why do you make all this food just so that it gets thrown out? I don't, I didn't ask you to do that. Like, why are you ordering all this surplus of extra food? 40% of the food in this country is wasted before it even gets to us at the grocery store. You know, it's like, that's a, that's a real ass number. And so I, I do see a big change coming. I do see consumers understanding finally how much power they have, not just in the food space, but also just in, you see it happening online. You see um, real, like, like on Instagram, you see comment sections like, hey, are you hiring marginalized folks? Are you, like you're centering them in your campaigns, but are you hiring them internally? Like, what are the conversations that you're having? You know, like seeing just sort of the spectrums of marginalized communities too. Like, are you hiring women over 50? Are you hiring gay trans community? Are you hiring, obviously, marginalized within race, religion? You know, like I do see a lot of people feeling like, wow, you know, my opinion actually matters. And we saw that happen so like heavily on social media after the murder of George Floyd. I mean, we really, saw, I mean, we saw whole ass companies go down, whole media companies like they, I mean, I don't need to name names, but I'm just saying you saw whole ass media companies and entities, the wing, you know, like this huge entity just crash and burn. You know what I mean? And so like for, at this point, for somebody to tell me that cons Consumers don't have power or I'm only one person. No, 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 no. Listen, it's going to take some very revolutionary shit to, it's going to take a lot of revolution to to see the, the changes to these big systematic, systemic issues. And you cannot have revolution without imagination. And so I tell people all the time, make your world a little bit smaller, right? Don't get so hung up on like, I need to change the world. How about you change your block? How about you change the, the dynamics of your family, change the neighborhood, go smaller. Like I, I think if everybody thought a little bit smaller, these big, huge issues would become not so, Oh, this is so intense. This is so intense. Just like you mentioning, like your like the person that cuts your hair. That is such, that is like exactly what I'm talking about. Like that's your world. Like that doesn't relate to me, but in your world, you're seeing like, wow, my five bucks, like, damn, that five bucks really does matter. Like, not only am I not getting my hair cut, that sucks, I want my hair cut, but like I don't get to pay my friend, someone I care about, someone that I miss, which means I don't get to support my friend, which means where else is he going to get this money? Like that sort of granular conversation is what it's going to, like a lot of those is what it's going to take for us to really start to get to the bottom of like these big, huge, massive industries. We got to go smaller or we go bigger, you know? yeah we talked to um
2: Brandon Kyle Goodman the actor Mm -hmm. um a while ago on this podcast and he was so incredible about he'd been so incredible already on Instagram in terms of just informing and educating um but then even on the podcast he was like literally if you just break down these like what you're saying these big things and write on your notes what are three things that I can do in my community to make a change and I was like Cause I was just sitting there being like, Oh my God, the world is fucked yeah. like, what, what do I do? I was like trying to run outside with like <laughs> batons. Like, I was like, I don't know what to do. And then he was like, just write down three things you can do. Like just the smallest things.
4: Yes. Yes. And ask, Oh my God. I think people have, we're so disconnected. You know, equitable giving means asking, right? Equality means I have the same thing as you. Equity means I have what I need. I have what I need and you can't give people what they need if you don't ask. You know, this assumption that like a neighborhood could use my insight, I, this is a whole, this is not my neighborhood. I don't know what this neighborhood needs. I should probably ask, you know, so many small neighborhoods have their own sort of community meetings and civic needs just going in. Like, yeah, we might think like, all oh, these people need grocery stores. I need this. Maybe they just want, maybe they just want trash cans at the end of every block. <laughs> Maybe they just want better parks and recreation. Maybe they want some playgrounds. I don't know. Let's ask. You know, like I feel like there's a proper way to give, you know, and I think that that also makes it, that takes the stress off. That takes the edge off. Now you don't even have to worry about what your three things are or 10 things are. You ask, that's it. I was dropping off food at my community uh, pantry the other day uh, at the community fridge and there was a woman there. And uh, I dropped off, dropped off a bunch of stuff and immediately she went to grab it. And it was like some uh, chickpea pasta. And she was like, I don't know how to, what, what, what do I, how I cook this? And she's this sweet little black woman. And I was telling her, I was like, oh, you know, it does taste a little different than normal pasta. You got to cook it a little bit longer, but it's just as good, super good for you, high protein. And I asked her, I said, what other kind of things do you like? What other kind of things do you, do you think that you need? And she's like, you know, she's like, it's silly, but I would love some lipstick, and I remember thinking, okay, lipstick. She's like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm staying at a shelter and it's the holidays. And like, I haven't had, she's like, I haven't had lipstick in like 15 years. And I was like, almost started to cry. I would never think to, lipstick. What the fuck? What people that are food insecure don't want to look nice. You know what I'm saying? You're never going to know what someone might need if you don't ask. So like I'm, here I am like making, you can drop off all the canned food, but I think there's also a way to donate this assumption that you can only donate canned simple food. What the hell what do you think people that are food insecure don't know how to cook with spices? They don't know how to use nice olive oil. They don't want people that are food insecure. They drink coffee. <laughs> this idea that you can only drop off like simple canned food. You can drop off all kinds of stuff at a community fridge. You can, you can ask people what they need sanitary now. Nap- clothing, backpacks, school supplies. You just don't know if you don't ask. So I think asking is a really, really, really great place to start. Something
3: that I was trying to figure out how to phrase this properly, but you, you have this like, <laughs> this like energy of someone that like very much knows what their like purpose in life is and who's like occupying this like very specific place that they're supposed to be occupying which I think is quite rare and I think it It sets off this kind of vibrational energy which is part of the reason people are drawn to you Um, and I wondered if that's something you've actually felt you've gone through personally and if there was kind of a moment of arrival or, or, or something
4: formative that moved you towards the place you're in now I think you phrased that question perfectly. I think that's a great question. So feel good about that. I, you know, listen, I'm not everybody's favorite. I'm really not. I talk about really intense stuff. I'm super passionate and really into it. That's not everybody's favorite thing. You know, I really sound so silly, but I really want to change the world. And every single person that has ever changed the world probably didn't give a rat's ass about how everybody felt about them. You know the Martin Luther Kings, the Obamas, the Malcolm Xs, the Bell Hooks. Like I don't really think that those people were like, "Let me make sure everybody really likes me." <laughs> I think those people would just set off into like, "I just need to do the right thing as as well as I know how to do it, and uh, find these things that I care about and care about them with this with with diligence and a lot of discipline and a lot of um, it's I, I, it's really deliberate. You know, uh, my, my past was really a great inspiration for that. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I had a horrible childhood, but my childhood is my greatest inspiration. Um, so I I can't actually, I guess I just like, if I didn't do this, then I kind of feel like all the horrible trauma that I went through as a kid would kind of be for nothing. Like, I feel like that really prepared me for this, you know, like I, here's the deal. And I think a lot of people let fear really like control them. Like, well, what happens if, if, if what I want doesn't work out? I know exactly what it's like for life not to work out. And it didn't kill me. I'm still here. So I guess like the normal things that like a person sort of like tells himself and gives them reasons not to do things. Like, I just like, don't have that. Like I can, I can promise people shit will not work out. It will not kill you. It will feel really crappy, and you've you've got to find it. You've got to find tools in your toolbox to be able to like get through it. Um, I haven't always like known this is what I was going to do. I think it wasn't until I I don't know. I, I think it was kind of very gradual. I don't think it was like kind of an aha kind of moment. I think it was when, in a really small way, I was able to get people to like. People would send me messages like, "Oh, so like." I've been sending emails to like, you know, the school board and like, they're getting back to me and I'm like, oh shit. Wow. Cool. Great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I guess it's like when you start to see like people, people will stop you and be like, wow, that, that thing that you said, like really meant a lot to me. I had a conversation with my grandmother about it. It's the first time we've had a positive conversation about race my entire life. Like that's awesome. You know, like that's great. I, I'm, I'm not like the end all be all, but I do feel like changing the world looks really granular at the beginning. And it looks like impacting one person. So I'm never lost on like one person that's impacted. Like not everybody in the world has to hear what you have to say for it to sort of, for it to sort of matter. I think finding your purpose is really hard and I do not want to oversimplify what that is. But I think the easiest thing is to sort of focus on like the things you don't want to do and you're not interested in, I feel like a lot of times we really stress out about like what do I want? And I like this and I like that. And we really stress out about being like multi-hyphenate. Like we're multi-hyphenates. Like I'm a girl and I'm a sister and I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like and I skateboard and I can play the clarinet. Like we're all like like that's like who we are as people. I think it's more about like what do I not want to do and and what focus on like kind of like what frustrates you. I know that sounds like problematic and like the last thing we want to do, but like what frustrates you? in the world, start there. And and then take like the thing that frustrates you about the world and like make it small. Purpose is tough. It's very tough.
2: Something that crops up again and again with people whose followings explode like yours has um, this year, uh, is that they remember a sweet spot where their community was like the perfect size and it was controlled and it was full of the right people. Do you remember when that was
4: for you and do you miss it at all? My community right now, I, I I think the people that are here want to be. You know, I talk about all kind of different stuff, so I feel like the people that have that have stayed are are there to stay. I know it's it's real easy to hit that unfollow button. That shit's right there, <laughs> so I feel like the people that are there uh, want to be. Uh, I have ninety five percent of my experience on social media is just really beautiful. Like I don't have a family myself, so. I feel like really close and voice note with like i voice note with like thousands of people that I've ever met. you know, I've had events with so many of these people. I really have a positive, really, in so many ways, positive. with the show and with you know like the the place that I don't like, I don't like that YouTube. that YouTube is just a cesspool. Man, that is like a scary place. so I don't that's not my favorite place. That's where you really start to see like. Nasty comments, negative comments, racist comments. You see a lot of that stuff. But for the most part on my Instagram, it did blow up really weird. And I thought maybe, okay, this is very performative. But you know what's crazy is that a good majority of the people that just found me and started following me have stayed. And I think I have a very maybe I'm just lucky. I don't know. But I, I feel okay about it. Um,
3: you always have a lot of amazing book recommendations. So we we're wondering if you could share with us one book that you wish more people had read and something that you're currently reading and really
4: enjoying so I, one book that i wish everybody would read is called working by studs turkle it's my favorite book in this entire universe i've got 600 copies of it it's just an incredible it's just incre- it's just the most amazing work uh, book it's about work it's about different people doing different jobs, different experiences, what a black police officer's experience is like versus a white police officer's experience. Seth Turkle's like my favorite broadcast journalist. He's no longer with us, but just a really great way of spinning a story in such a nice way. Um, Love that book. And then After the Rain by my friend Alex L. She taught me something this year that was really great that I am and we are all worthy of ease. And that this is something that I think in 2020, we have really just sort of like totally disconnected from ease. Are you kidding me? It's the most complicated shit in the world just go to the grocery store. was like lines and this mask and the distance and you forgot the mask. And like, it's like t- contactless, don't touch this. It's so, ugh. you know, like everything is complicated this year, but that has nothing to do with like what we're worthy of and what we're deserving of. And that book after the rain, just, it just launched this year, but what a, what a fucking read like holy moly that is like the book and i that's what I'm currently reading and it's just incredible
2: um so last question and it's a bit of a um bit more of a funny one but people on your Instagram are incredibly thirsty about your boyfriend um yeah. <laughs> is that they is are. that weird and do you ever get used to it and like what's your guys internal conversations about this <laughs>
4: Oh my gosh, we laugh about it. Oh, we laugh about it. It's like a, it is a funny thing. I, you know, if we don't care, you know, like we've known each other for seven years. At the, that is my life partner. Like that I co-parent his no. son. Like it's like, it's not, we don't, it's not like a threatening thing. Um, it is a little weird how sort of like open people are about about like like my efforts to steal my boyfriend and I'm just very like I'm like you get my boyfriend don't care about you girl <laughs> sorry <laughs> like I you know like we don't and even like so you know Chris will sometimes get like weird messages and he'll say like yeah, I'm gonna send this to my girlfriend because you follow her so you know that I exist and like this is really oh gross gosh. and you should like you should like get this looked up. Like this is not like, this is like, this is about the most unattractive thing that you could send to me. Like I have, I'm a dad, you know? Like, it's like, what? Like, like that's like my wife, you know? Like if if it wasn't for a pandemic, then we'd be married already. Like that's kind of like, so our relationship is like, great. Like we're fine. But I do find it to be, I mean, guys, every day. Every day. A what was the food? thing
3: you put up something the other day where you yeah. were asking something so unrelated, yeah. and someone was like, "I'm gonna steal your fucking boyfriend." You're like, "What?" Like, you'd ask what people's favorite like citrus fruit was. It was
4: the question was if you could cook with anybody, who would you want to cook with? And people your are boyfriend. Like, are like, yeah, your, your boyfriend, so, so that I can cook a meal and steal him. And I'm like, uh okay, I had to, be, I had to be like very like kind of gross and like Scorpio about it. Like my my boyfriend eats. He eats sweet potatoes, bison, and me. <laughs> like I have to be like aggressive about it. Like I don't even care. Like you are. What is your problem? And then it's like funny because my other friends are like, "Oh my god!" Like, are girls thinking this about my boyfriend? <laughs> like, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, my friend Cindy was like, just. Oh my God, does my, does Adam get messages like this? Mm -hmm. Like, are, you know, and it's like, you don't want to be like harsh on people, but also let me tell you, it's not only girls. Uh, It is not. I believe it. There are a lot of men that are like, a lot of men that are just really,
3: People are like home alone and horny at the moment as well.
4: So it's like probably complicated. Oh, things. and it's fine. Like you make comments like, Ooh, is he did have a brother? Is he single? Blah, 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 blah. You know, like those are, thi-
1: those are like,
2: yeah, funny, that's what, like that's where I, what I thought the extent was. <laughs> but the DMs
4: is like, Whoa. That's like where it yeah, stopped. Yeah. <laughs> no, it got really intense. Like one girl was like, you're so lucky as a black woman to have a boyfriend that looks like well, him. Uh, none of my yeah. black, none of my black friends ever can ever get to be with men that are that attractive. I was like, <laughs> i sent it to chris and chris my my you know chris is just like he like addresses it like it's he's just like you are a disgusting racist person and you should you will never message my girl again like he's very yeah but we also have like a really different kind of relationship. we're so open and we're kind of weird like we're very kind of like i don't know we co-parent a, a six-year-old and you know we're like We teach him not to like, don't he or she, your friends at the, at the, you know, playground, you know, just ask people what their names are. Like, you know, like we're so, like, we're fine. We don't exist within those jealous sort of places, but it is pretty outrageous how gutsy people are. Yeah. That's the biggest shock to
3: us is that people will be so um, blatant Yeah.
4: And also I'm like, why my partner? Like, I know he's like, listen, he's beautiful, but like, come on, like, Huh. That's like not something that like do other people with like with like attractive partners have to deal with that? I don't know. It's just weird. And like he on his end, he doesn't get it. You know, like he's not getting like I'm trying to steal your girl. <laughs> yeah, so what? it's really interesting. You know? <laughs> yeah, hell, right. Yeah. It's like awkward. Um, yeah. And then I'm like and then I'm like insecure about it. I'm like, well, I want people to say I want you know. It's like a mind fuck. I want like, people to slide into my DMs. <laughs> yeah, I want people <laughs> to slide into your DMs and try to steal me away, like. <laughs> is like so what are we talking about here and i'm like okay (laughs) yeah how did we get here
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's very funny very very well
3: thank you so much for
2: speaking to us we we've loved this conversation
3: and you're like oh my gosh yeah you're so amazing on instagram and you've like really helped us this year so thank you so much for everything that you do it's really incredible
4: oh Oh my gosh good good just remember like yeah you deserve a laugh have a laugh, and have serious <laughs> conversations, and also laugh and like still be yourself. And you know, it's all good. Thank you guys. Thanks.
3: Thanks. So. So. Bye. 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 Bye.